0: That's why they call me hey, What's up guys? Welcome to Black Flag Productions. We are your hosts Anthony and Aaron and today we are going to be talking about why atomic bombs are not all that we have been told that they are. We have a very special guest with us, Chris Keski the author of The War Against the Gs. Chris, how about you go ahead and tell us a little bit of your background and why that might be so.
1: Okay, so I'm the author of The War Against G, which you can
0: purchase at chriskaskey.podia.com. Now, there's a video,
1: uh, Lords of the Nukes. It's it's three and a half hours. And that was my first awareness of... um, like nuke revisionism, nuke skepticism, back in 2015. Why don't we start with the origins and historiography of nuke revisionism? The father of atom bomb revisionism was a Canadian by the name of Roger Deja Dance. He posted in libertyforum.com in 2004, the Hiroshima Before and After thread was the first web-published atomic bomb denial thread ever seen by the public on the net. 80 pages and nearly 100,000 page views before the site was defunct. Now, another milestone was around 2010-2011, 2010-2011, the forum nuclides.org Recently, there's been a few books on the subject, namely Death Object: Exploding the Nuclear Weapons Hoax by Akio Nakatani. Hiroshima revisited the evidence that napalm and mustard gas helped fake the atomic bombings by Michael Palmer that came out in 2020. And, of course, the essay in my book, The War Against which you can purchase at chriskaskey.pody.com. So that's sort of a short, um, a sort of a synopsis of the um, origins and historiography of new, new revisionism. So why don't we
2: dive into the uh, skepticism? Awesome, Chris. Hey, thanks for the introduction. So this is fascinating to me, and I know a lot of our listeners as well. Uh, let's talk about that revisionism and, and pretty much where it all started with Hiroshima Nagasaki as things were really winding down for World War II. Why don't you get a little bit into the meat of that for the people who they really don't know what we're talking about right now? Sure. So...
1: Uh, Japan was supposedly nuked twice, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the, the 6th and 9th of August, 1945. So we can, I think, show confidently now that something did happen there, but those cities were not nuked. They were actually firebombed. Let me expound upon that. So... Prior to the bombing of Hiroshima, the USA had already firebombed 67 Japanese cities. It was um, a very devastating but but very effective um, strategy. So we can show that what happened in Hiroshima and Nagasaki was the same as what happened in Tokyo. You know, Tokyo was was firebombed. If you look at uh, photographs of the aftermath damage, it's virtually identical. Basically, the wooden structures burnt, but... You know, there were many flimsy structures that were unscathed. Uh, there was no blast damage, which, of course, atomic bombs are supposed to generate a lot of blast damage. There yeah. was no crater either, which, if there's this huge, gigantic cloud of debris and dust, it should have been a crater. But there was no crater, no ground zero. There are also technical aspects about the bombs themselves. They were just props. Now, they're supposed to weigh, like four to five tons each but there's they were shown in a film being moved around easily on, on this like little dolly the bombs they couldn't have been aimed and dropped accurately the circular era probable for the bomber in 1945 at 20,000 feet was a 3,300 foot radius roughly three-fifths of the radius of hiroshima through a jet stream so in other words this multi-billion dollar bomb only had a 50 percent chance of of hitting hiroshima at all the the antennas on the bombs were installed wrong well they weren't installed at all and of course they would have needed to work now Uh, photography is another point the famous photograph of the explosion at nagasaki uh, it's clearly a composite let me me show it to you you can see clearly looking at it that it's two separate images so this is one image up here which is lighter and this is another image down here which is darker and they don't they don't blend together (laughs) so i think this is basically just a really bad photoshop job
2: essentially when you're talking about the bombs not being able to hit and then the the trick or the fake photography going on. Is it true? Have you come across this in your own research where the government only had one appointed photographer that was actually on site whether it was in the airplanes or actually had boots on the ground to photograph this event but all outside media or anyone else was not allowed to be on site
1: yeah Uh, and there was heavy censorship in japan as well the uh, actual crew that flew the uh plane uh to drop the bomb over hiroshima supposedly they actually forgot to to photograph it (laughs) that's the story (laughs) they forgot to photograph it so they only we only have the the a official photograph for Nagasaki. This is supposed to be another photograph for Hiroshima. It's like it's really fishy. So continuing on, eyewitness accounts is another important category of evidence. So the consensus among eyewitnesses, there are examples of people who were there who were hundreds of yards away from the supposed epicenter and they survived. For example, there's an account from a chap by the name of John Symes S I E M E S. Now, he was half a mile away from the biggest explosion in history, supposedly, half a mile away from the epicenter. Was he in a bunker? He was in a flimsy wooden-like building. Okay. Uh, Now, also, the official Japanese broadcast at the time, they did not report an atomic bomb. They reported that Hiroshima had been raided by B-20s with incendiaries and explosives. And the U.S. Air Force actually dropped leaflets on these cities one day after they had been bombed to encourage belief because a lot of Japanese people didn't actually believe they were nuked so they dropped leaflets from airplanes basically saying you know you you were nuked believe us so it's like a propaganda campaign basically uh another point and another pertinent question people have is well what about what about radiation you know how do you explain the radiation the injuries that were attributed to radiation amongst the victims were actually uh caused by Mustard gas, and this is something that Michael Palmer documented in his book. And some journalists at the time also mentioned uh, sulfur
2: mustard. They're very similar, right? They can create lesions on the skin, things like that. Keloid
1: uh, scar tissue and stuff. Yeah. There was a study by John Boyce, B O I C E, of the National Cancer Institute published in 1990 in the Journal of the American Medical Association. Intense study of 70,000 offspring of atomic bomb survivors has failed to identify an increase in congenital abnormalities cancer chromosome aberrations or mutational blood protein changes and is quite a large sample and that's from you know the journal of the american medical association
2: so this was the population in japan that was bombed and they're they're seeing that there was no detrimental effects from this huge radiation yeah exactly moreover
1: plants were fine the plants weren't mutated if you if you go to Hiroshima and Nagasaki today plants are fine Uh, The water's fine.
0: You know, if there is the biggest nuclear blast ever in the history of the world, there wouldn't be vegetation for a good long while. Yet, very soon after the blast, you can see pictures of vegetation growing in Hiroshima. Exactly. So, yeah, why don't we
1: segue into the test footage and how this is very, very doubtful. Do you have that
2: picture of all the guys without protective gear?
1: So this is uh, Oppenheimer and co. at the Mm. test site in New Mexico. This was where the, the world's first supposed atomic bomb was, like, tested. No crater in 1945. So you can see that, like, this is ground zero. So the question is, where is their protective equipment? It was supposed to be irradiated. So the radiation wasn't an important part of the story at the beginning, but it later became an important part of the story. So they didn't really get their story consistent from the beginning.
2: Hmm. That's what happens with
1: lies. Because, yeah, exactly. Now, another thing that verifies the thesis that nuclear weapons don't exist is that a lot of the test footage of nukes is faked or. Very, very doubtful at best. So, for example, there were a lot of um, tests in the Pacific, Bikini Atoll. Supposedly, 23 nukes were tested there between 1946 to 1958. And we can see that uh, the coral reefs were not damaged. The fish are okay. And, you know, underwater explosions are ideal because... They could easily just be conventional explosives. And because it's underwater, it's difficult to check and you can you know, hide it.
2: It's interesting how they tell us that plastic straws are going to ruin the world's ecosystem, but yet fragile coral reefs can survive nuclear blasts.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And there's also a color problem. You know how blue fire is hotter than yellow or orange fire? Well, nukes are supposed to be millions of degrees, right? So one would think logically that the color of nuclear explosions would be blue or white. Now, if it's orange or yellow, that indicates unburned hydrocarbon, basically. So it indicates that the explosions were not hot, that they were just conventional explosions. And I think this is why a lot of test footage of nukes was in black and white, was to hide this.
2: The black and white point is really important. They had the technology to do full color. If you're doing full scientific investigations, you you want to have a lot of scrutiny about it and you're investing billions of dollars at a, a point in time when America's coming off of a Great Depression, uh, all the con- yeah. uh, all the world's major are involved in this massive war struggle you probably want to have the best data possible and this footage
1: showing a double flash which could not have been detected with cameras at the time because the oh. frame rate was too low mm. so footage would show like one flash and then that insert like a dark frame and then there'd be a second flash this is like a 30 frame per second camera back, back in the days so there was footage where the explosions would uh, have shadows but the thing is nukes are supposed to be brighter than a thousand suns so that was a phrase that was thrown around a lot So if they were brighter than a thousand suns, they wouldn't be shadows. Uh, Problems with audio. So audio is slowed, like it's slowed down to make the explosions sound more ominous. Like if an explosion is miles away, it's going to take a few seconds for the audio to travel, but the audio is just like instantaneous. So
2: I always felt like the video footage was not compelling. It it almost felt like claymation or stop motion, slow motion photography. And then later in life, I wondered what are these cameras made out of where everything around it completely gets atomized to the molecular level? But you know, some guy walks up after the explosion, grabs the camera reel and heads back to the production studio.
1: And the film film is supposed to be, Radiated too.
2: You like, can't even put your suitcase through the airport. I forgot all about that. They don't. They don't want you to scan your film with any radiation. Yeah.
1: So many inconsistencies. A lot of these tests were faked at Lookout Mountain Studios in Los Angeles, and this was a studio that was involved with Hollywood. And also, you know, what what would actual what would nuclear explosions actually look like if they were nukes?
2: They look really outlandish. They look like sci-fi weapons. So to boil it down, a lot of the footage that we see on video and in photographs is very large amounts. You know, small mountains of. T- TNT of of traditional dynamite nitroglycerin, but the cameras are zooming in and they're shooting at such a slow frame rate that what's happening is it looks like a much larger explosion. And and as you've just brought up, they have really invoked the top minds at Hollywood, which really kind of makes me think about the moon landing and many other hoaxes throughout history. It all seems to go together.
1: Let's talk about the the science of nuclear technology. Several prominent scientists actually doubted that nuclear weapons were possible. For example, uh, Ernest Rutherford, who famously split the atom, he's actually on the New Zealand $100 note. He doubted nuclear weapons were possible. Niels Bohr doubted nuclear weapons were possible. JBS Haldane, Doubted nuclear weapons were possible and even einstein stated that they would be too heavy and they, they wouldn't be possible now there's a problem with the nuclear chain reaction as well and this is something michael palmer pointed out in his book hiroshima revisited that nuclear reactions are of course possible but in explosions there's no time for the reaction to build so it's just like it's just instantaneous uh there's another problem with uh, geiger counters i mean you've probably um heard geiger counters you know the, the famous um clicking sound that they make sound now that it's detecting charged particles basically. However, radiation is supposed to consist of largely of neutrons. Neutrons have no charge. How do you detect neutrons? Because Geiger counters don't detect neutrons, so they're not very reliable. And there's also doubts about ICBMs, intercontinental ballistic missiles, because during the Cold War, there was this fear of nuclear catastrophe, and they could supposedly launch a nuclear missile from Russia to the USA or halfway around the world. Now, uh, Anders Bjorkman, now he maintains, he's he's an engineer, he maintains that ICBMs will like burn up in the atmosphere uh, upon reentry, like like meteorites. Now, for example, there was a, a the rocket plane X fifteen, which was an aeroplane like with a rocket engine. Basically, it, it travelled a world record speed of about two kilometers per second, and it it almost br- burned up, right? Now, icBMs they could have a speed of up to seven kilometers a second at re-entry um, after a 4,000 kilometers altitude that's very very fast now the heat sh- they're supposed to have these like magical heat shields but there's really no I mean there's no research on these heat shields where are the engineers where are the factories how do they work it's all just kind of magically wished away because um, that is a very serious problem is how how would ICBMs be possible how would they not burn up so
2: I think that's that's very interesting it really reminds me of the international fake station or the International Space station, the ISS, it just spontaneously arrived completed, even though it was this collaborative mission between all of these different countries and their space programs. There was never any assembly of it. You know, they never documented where it came from, who who donated what. And that's it's it's almost the same yeah, thing here to where the technology almost just gave spontaneous rise to itself. And then all of a sudden, not only do we have something that can sustain this highly intricate chain reaction, not only do we hit our target on the first try, not only did we go against all these scientists that said it couldn't happen. I mean, to me, this has really all the hallmarks of basically just a deflection tactic in order to stop one country from attacking the other. I feel like all the countries are actually in bed together and they all know that they're supporting the same hoax with a unified vision. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So that's, a, I think that's a good segue into the motives. So why would they fake nukes? Why?
1: Why would they do it? So let's, let's go back to Japan during World War II. So Japan was actually desperate to surrender. And the, the story that Japan was nuked to end World War II is absolute rubbish. The reason why they faked nukes was to introduce this basically fear porn. It was about psychological warfare, divide and conquer, and making money was was probably the biggest motive. The Cold War cost American taxpayers, I think, $5 trillion. That's a figure quoted by Eustace Mullins, but it no doubt costs other countries trillions as well. Propaganda films exemplify this. The Day After was a film released in 1983, initially viewed by some 100 million people, and it depicts this nuclear catastrophe. It's it's horrible. Like, if you watch this, it's horrific. Like, well, I mean, that's like terrifying people with this, and and it's terrifying um, school children. Yeah. Uh, essentially essentially lying to children because, you know, there was a duck and cover program as well uh, in the schools where they instruct children to hide under their desks in case there was a, like a nu- nuclear explosion went off. So keeping people in fear, it's very sad in retrospect. But again, they created like a, a new industry and were making big profits from this because it was all fake. They could just fake test footage and then the US government or whatever government, the Russian government, remember this was international, they'd basically pay for defense and allocate some of the budget to nukes. And Great. it was just it was basically a waste of money because it was all it was all fake. It was all just just theatre. Another reason there was a Japanese motive to go along with it because then they would get immunity from military tribunals, for example, the Nuremberg tribunals
2: in Germany. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. Another
1: motive is that um nukes like there's a political motive. They can they can be used to justify invasions. For example, in 2003, you know, Iraq was invaded by the, the U.S. and coalition. And the main reason was, you know, Iraq, the Iraqi regime possessed weapons of mass destruction that were a threat. And, um, of course, they didn't find weapons of mass destruction. It was a lie. And later, officials even came out and said that it was a lie. They've said the same thing about Iraq as well that they're trying to develop nukes and um they also uh, north korea but north korea is you know threatening with with nukes
2: it's a golden ticket to war members of
1: the tribe were intimately involved in this fraudulent fear the phony scientists behind like the manhattan project for example such as uh, oppenheimer Szilard, were members of the tribe and like for example the father of the hydrogen bomb edward teller he was a member of the tribe samuel cohen father of the neutron bomb was a member of the tribe person who headed the atomic bomb project in the ussr Leverine Tiberia was a member of the tribe.
2: I see so many obvious parallels between this and the moon mission, just as one example. But yeah. when it really comes down to keeping something like that under wraps, most people who never take the time to diligently research this at all, they might come across with some lazy retort and say, you know what? Hundreds of thousands of people were designed and everything from the landing capsule to the lunar rover to the module. Like, But here's the thing. When you compartmentalize everything, one department that makes some sort of a lever doesn't know what's going on with a propulsion system with a factory in Houston, Texas. And so just because you're working on the assembly of something doesn't mean that you have inside knowledge. And I think if nuclear weapons, as we've been told they exist, really did exist, with the amount of unhinged psychopaths that are in control of all of the different countries around the world, there is absolutely no way. The only two treaties throughout the whole of the 20th and 21st century that have always been upheld by even enemy states have been the Antarctic Treaty, and the nuclear treaty. So all of a sudden, all these nations that hate each other are jealous of each other and and want to wage literal genocide against one another are like, well, we signed that document back in 1973. (laughs) So you guys, we'll get you next time. But I think once you look at the totality of it all, to believe that nuclear weapons exist, is ridiculous. I
1: think that in conclusion, I think nukes are almost certainly fake. I'm I'm not 100% sure. I think we can ascertain that Japan during World War II was firebombed, not nuked. So they lied about that. And we can also ascertain that a lot of the test footage is fake. However, this is actually good news. You know, It means that nuclear apocalypse looks unlikely. If you want more information, I provide a more fleshed out account of this in my book, The War Against G, which you can get at chriskasky.podia.com.
2: Can you share with our listeners, if they want to do independent research, where can they go?
1: I'd say that the best source is Doddle, and there are books, uh, Death Object, Exploding the Nuclear Weapons Hoax by Akio Nakatani, and Hiroshima Revisited by Michael Palmer. If you want to contact me, my email address is chriscaskey
0: at protonmail.com. Yeah, so that is all we had for this episode of Black Flag Productions. And for the viewers out there, we have just covered some of the points and arguments on this topic. There are so many more details and arguments about atomic bombs in Chris's book, The War Against the Gs. And Chris, we are so thankful and grateful that you were a guest on this episode.
1: Thanks for inviting
0: me. Yeah, we greatly appreciate your knowledge and expertise in this subject. Don't forget to check us out on all of our handles, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Bitchute and Rumble. And we just recently launched our Spotify for those who like to listen to the audio only. So go check us out on Spotify. Make sure you keep an eye out for the next episode of Black Flag Productions. We are your hosts, Anthony and Aaron, and we will see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.